Hello and welcome to the iCoach Kids podcast with me, your host, Owen Mooney. iCoach Kids is a global not-for-profit movement that aims to support children's coaches around the world. This podcast is the perfect resource for anyone and everything related to children's coaching and youth development. Wherever you get your podcasts, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channels and follow us on social media at iCoach Kids Pod. Also, please follow the iCoach Kids pages on social media and subscribe to the iCoach Kids YouTube channel where you'll have access to the massive open online courses as well as a huge number of videos and webinars. Thank you for joining our ever-growing family. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Orla Farmer. Orla is a lecturer in Applied Early Childhood Studies in the Dundalk Institute of Technology, and she has recently been awarded her PhD in female youth sport participation in the Sports Studies Physical Education Department at the University College Cork. Orla is also a qualified PE teacher, and she is hugely successful sports person in ladies' Gaelic football, holding six All-Ireland senior inter-county medals with Cork. On today's episode, Orla discusses her coaching background and influences, her sporting journey as a player, her research towards improving the participation of young years in sport, successes and organisational issues as a performance athlete around women's Gaelic games, and her movement mission to impact years worldwide, and much more. We hope you enjoy the episode. Orla, thank you for joining me in Nyko's Kids Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How have you been keeping? Thank you, Owen. I'm delighted to be on. I'm doing well. I'm very good now. I'm into an all and final now in two weeks, so I can't complain. <laughs> We're going to touch on that later on. Um, <laughs> congratulations. Obviously, um, you beat Galway. We'll touch on that a little bit later. So my sister-in-law used to play for Galway. My wife was from Galway, so the house was a little bit quiet. Um, <laughs> 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 Just for our listeners, when we get started... Um, just could you give us an overview on your coaching background, but also um, when you first started playing and getting into coaching and teaching as well, Arla? Yes, I suppose it all kind of started back when I was 11. Um, I was in fifth class, actually, in primary school at the time. And it was my fifth class teacher who kind of encouraged me to play football with the school and then also encouraged me to play with my local club in Middleton. And so I suppose looking back now, I was kind of like an, a latecomer to the game, as they would say. But yeah, so started kind of, I suppose, at that age, kind of leaving primary school, going to secondary school, um, and had the opportunity then to represent Cork underage, so under 14, under 16, minor, under 21. And when I was 17, then I was called up to the senior panel, so back in 2010. When I was a young one, <laughs> I came onto the panel when I was in fifth year in school and I was also playing minor at the time as well. So it was a big change, really, a big step up. Different, let's say, shot altogether, a different intensity. Um, and I suppose, luckily enough, in terms of my playing career, you know, I, I suppose I, I got the opportunity to play with some of my role models. Uh, girls like, I suppose, Juliet Murphy, Breach Corkery, Rita Buckley, Breedstock. All those girls um, that I suppose I aspired to, to be when I was younger and got that opportunity then to play with them and 
Uh, I suppose we won six All Irelands then in a row as well. So I, I was, I'm one of the lucky ones who, who got to play consecutively in Crow Park. Um, it's such a successful team, and you know, I'm, I'm very, extremely grateful for that. Um, still playing, and uh, grateful again to be in an All Ireland final now in two weeks' time. It'll be very different, but suppose that's kind of it in a nutshell, really. Um, I suppose I've been playing since I was 11, really. Um, I'm 28 now, so. I'm a long time on, on the road, but still enjoying it and still as eager as ever. And um, I suppose I've kind of, you know, again, I, I'm grateful to have that opportunity to, to start from a young age and still be kind of on the panel and part of a park and, you know, that, that set up as well. Um, so that's kind of my playing career, really, um, in terms of my coaching then. So they always had that, that interest. Um, more so maybe when I kind of got into TY, maybe when I was kind of a, you know, later on in my teens, kind of 16, 17, 18, um, I suppose I kind of knew in my head I was going down the route of, of PE teaching, uh, either primary school teaching or PE teaching. I, I knew there was a teacher in me and I loved to help and empower others. And I suppose coupled with sport then, um, I wanted to kind of mirror that career off the pitch. Uh, and, you know, I suppose give back to a certain extent and also, um, I suppose, embed like my passion for sport in my career also. So I kind of knew from a young age, like say kind of 16, 17, 18, that I kind of liked kind of that, um, that set up and kind of would have been involved in, you know, coaching and cool camps and things like that from a young age as well. Um, always interest me. And then I suppose college really kind of like stemmed and kind of flared up my interest for coaching. Um, I studied uh, sports studies and physical education in UCC, so in the sports department. And um, I suppose with the teaching background as well, it really kind of going out on teaching placement and going out working with kind of different clubs and schools really kind of gauged my interest. Um, and then obviously with the, the research route as well, kind of delving in my final year of, of, of my undergrad, I had the opportunity to work on a research project, so Project Spree, out in CIT, and that kind of opened my eyes to the whole research setup um, and, you know, working with kids and coaching kids as well. So I suppose it all kind of merged together, really, towards the end of my uh, undergrad degree, and that kind of what pushed me forward then to go and pursue uh, a PhD journey, which, you know, just recently completed. And yeah, so like, I suppose, I, like, in a way, I'm kind of newly involved. Like, I, I wouldn't say like I'm an experienced coach, but I'm more kind of like merging my own experience, merging my research. But I, I suppose I've also had that opportunity over the last 10 years to coach different teams, boys as well, and girls, particularly kind of pre-adolescent girls, teenage girls. Um, haven't really had the time to commit to one team per se for like the whole year but I would delve in and out of teams over the last 10 years um particularly with girls as well because of my research background um but I would have had coached a lot of um strength and conditioning uh sessions with boys teams in Cork as well um a team up, up the road for me so I would have helped out with some strength and conditioning and kind of functional movement fundamental movement skill kind of training as well um, and coach education then, of course, would be my my background as well, that I, I help out with the Ladies Gaelic Football, Gaelic for Teens, um, that's newly kind of evolved program over the last few years, uh, Gaelic for Girls, 
and also just would run my own coaching workshops around Cork in particular um, and other regions as well in Munster um, and any opportunity that I would get then to, to speak at conferences uh, specific to coaching. So yeah, like it was really in a nutshell, like my, I've had, you know, luckily had that, that success with Cork over the years, um, but also, you know, giving back for for the pre-adolescent adolescent kind of age group in terms of coaching um, and I kind of look at it from the coach education perspective something I'm really passionate about as well um, and I've had that experience over the last five to six years in particular with my PhD kind of run workshops it's supposed to improve you know coaching practices um, and instill knowledge I suppose research informed knowledge for coaches to more girls to stay involved in in football primarily it's been yeah it's, it's been an exciting few years on to say the least <laughs> definitely has and that's one thing you know i've, I've circled i've been making notes um and i've circled a few things i want to delve kind of a little bit more into more detail about a couple of aspects that you mentioned the first one is uh and we know each other and we've done a few webinars and uh i coach kids shares and play together and we follow each other on Facebook and, uh, so, and social media. And your grandmother is a big influence on you, Sheila Bells. Sheila Bells, yeah. <laughs> She's famous now at this stage. <laughs> Just in relation to that, because I want to touch on that. Um, and obviously, role models come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, and you touched on your teacher um, when you were 11, getting you to play in the school, but also go back to play with Middleton as well. So that was a role model for you. Then you talked about role models in terms of playing with your role models when you were a young girl and then getting a chance to win all Ireland with those role models. Um, Sheila Bells, your father, your family. Um, I've met your father as well. Role models also. But yourself. Would you class yourself as a role model then, Laura? <laughs> I think we're, we're very reluctant as like you know, sports people to be like, yeah, I'm a role model, but I suppose, yeah, I mean, like, you know, obviously not in a, in a boastful way or anything like that, but like, you know, I, I know it was based on my own experience of running camps in Cork and, um, you know, in that coaching setup that you can see that young girls um, aspire it and look up to the older girls. And I suppose it did kind of trickle through to my, through my research as well and my findings, which I'll speak about a bit later on as well in terms of the role models um, was a strong finding um, and something that definitely needs to be brought forward, I think, in terms of like promoting, you know, girls and women in sport as well. From my own experience, um, social support, I think, um, is a massive thing for girls. Um, and it's something, I suppose, that not only on my own experience, but also the research would strongly suggest that, you know, it's so, so important for participation and retention in sport for girls and um, I think just looking back on, on, on my own experience like I had mentioned about my, my fifth class teacher who I actually went back to um, last year in my primary school uh, so it was nice to kind of go back and you know relay all those memories in primary school when she was pushing me to go training but like it could be some, something simple like that like you know she encouraged me she saw potential in me she provided me with that encouragement and you know positive reinforcement and as a result, you know, I mean, I could honestly say if it wasn't for her and, and my parents, like I mightn't have had that opportunity to play with Cork because I wasn't involved in a club set up. I wasn't registered with Middleton at the time. Um, it was my friends and it was my, my fifth class teacher who really pushed me 
and kind of and I actually remember when I left sixth class and um, you know where you'd go around with like a notebook to get all the teachers to sign off and you know wish you well going on into secondary school and I actually still have that notebook at home to this day and and the one thing that that my teacher at the time my fifth class teacher she said um I know I'm going to see you play with Cork someday. She put on the notebook and, and best wishes. And like that always stood to me. It always kind of resonated with me because you know, she believed in, in my talent and she believed in me and she she kind of helped me pursue that opportunity. And I joined with, with, with the club then in, in, in Middleton. So, you know, like small little words like that, small positive kind of forms of reinforcement and encouragement can really, really go a long way. Like, and I myself, that's an example for me that you know she really really pushed me back then when I was such a young girl I mean 11 year old girl who had never played football and all of a sudden you have a teacher who's kind of almost looking up to you saying oh I, or I think you need to join that local club and um, so it does go a long way so I do think teachers definitely are influential and um, in a school setting because it's really controlled as well and you know I suppose with all the different sports and with PE and you know after the sport it really kind of gives girls that flavour for different sports um, I mean that's where I learned how to play football was in school first before I even joined the club so I do think teachers and that school setting certainly are really really um, influential uh, and you know just that encouragement as well but it was really like my family um, and you had mentioned Sheila Bells there as well and um, Sheila Bells my, my granny she, uh, she's like my best friend and you know, she's been there, like she practically raised me really when, when I was younger, when my mom and dad were out working and she brought me up really like after school and she just like always had that belief and that good, good spirit to be around and, you know, always kind of just encouraged you and, and pushed you. And even on, on the days where, you know, you were down or, you know, you didn't make the start in 15 or you just went bad through the game, like she'd always be that person who'd, you know, you, you'd get the call and she'd be encouraging you still, you know, and, and pushing you on. So it is really important, like, and my, my parents as well, geez, I mean, I think sometimes they're more into it than I am half the time because you watch all the games, they'd be travelling around and any opportunity they have had over the last year to travel to a game, like, they went and they were there and they were supporting. And like that all, I think, really helps as well as a player and... You know, just knowing that you have that social support and that parental support and guidance, and um, it's really, really important. Um, and it, it kind of gives that motivation. I know, like, you know, when when you think of like what motivates you to play um, football, and like my parents, particularly my mom and dad, and obviously my my granny and my other family members as well, they're the people that come to mind. You know, when I think of like even on All Ireland final days, like I, I'd always think like think of your parents now and think of all the support and the guidance and the traveling around the country <laughs> to bring you to training to watch you and to support you and to put up with you then when you're in bad form as well um all of that is part and parcel of sport and it's so so important um and I, I suppose in terms of role models I know I had mentioned the likes of Angela Walsh and Breach Corkery, Rena Buckley you know Breach Stack all of those girls that I suppose I looked up to, and um, particularly I remember in 2009 when the Cork Ladies Footballers won five in a row, and I was actually up in Co Park with my parents, and I always say it like I remember them winning the five in a row, and they were celebrating 
with Brendan Martin Cup around the pitch and like I, I remember just looking down being like God I'd love to be part of that now and oh my God like isn't that fantastic and like that was my goal to be playing Crow Park and little did I know then a year or two later like would I be training and playing and going out onto the tunnel in Crow Park like with my role models so you know it really like does go to show that those role models like the positive influence that they had on me in terms of my motivation that like I wanted to be like them no I wanted to be winning all Ireland's I want the opportunity to play in Crow Park with girls that I look up to and it seems to come true as well like obviously working hard and you know believing and backing yourself as well but getting that opportunity I suppose when I was 17 like to be called up to panel um, and just kind of you know taking that opportunity and just backing yourself like really made that difference but Actually, I remember being, I think it was, I was 12 at the time, and I remember being at a school camp uh, in Middleton. Uh, I think it was actually my first school camp because it wasn't really a thing back then. I think it was only just coming in around that time. Um, so it was like my first and my last school camp. But I remember um, Angela Walsh, and I think it was like Breed Stacker, or was it Geraldine uh, O'Flynn, or one of those girls. They were actually my coaches in Middleton, and like I was really. T- taken aback because I was like oh my god like they're Cork senior ladies footballers and I remember them taking like the, the, the session that day in the cool camp and it was just an awe and I was saying oh my god like I really have to impress here now and you know I have to really show off like and really like impress these girls these are my role models and like little did I know again you know five or six years later like that I'd be out in the pitch with them and you know it, it just really goes to show that like just even having that presence there and the provision of role models, whether it be in a training session, whether it be in a school, and um, whether it be just at a match or you know doing a talk, numerous different ways. But like that presence, I think it's just so so important. And, like these are the things I can remember. You know, these are the stories I can remember. These are the things that like helped with my motivation, helped with my confidence, um, throughout my playing career. Uh, and like even being one of the oldies now on the on the car team, like I know that importance. So like I know the importance of encouraging the new newer girls on the team, the younger girls on the team, and kind of helping them settle. Um, and that that all makes a massive difference, like in terms of confidence as well. One of the things I kind of want to go on. Look, before we move on to your research, I just want to kind of do a bit of background. Um, so Orla has mentioned. Um, six All-Irelands and being in another All-Ireland final. So for all the listeners who are outside of Ireland, we have uh, people listening from the 35, nearly 40 countries. So basically the All-Ireland Ladies Football uh, final for inter-county, for every county in Ireland gets the opportunity to play in it, whether it's junior, intermediate or senior ladies football. The All-Ireland final is like the Super Bowl and or the Champions League final. And remember, Orla has six All-Ireland medals. So just put that in context a little bit. Orla mentioned about cool camps. That's the national um, national Gaelic Games um, camps run in the summer by the Gaelic Athletic Association. Um, and Orla would have been part of that as a participant, also as a coach, and I've been involved in it and I'm still am involved in it back now. Um, Orla has a, a set up um, some Cork LGFA camps for girls, as well as being involved in the ladies Gaelic football, Gaelic for girls and Gaelic for teens. Now, we're going to move on to your research now because I find it very interesting that you were 11 when, again, we'll go back to your teacher and go back to the club. And your research touches on that and probably your past experiences and how that felt for you. 
lead into your research and how that will affect girls at that age and younger also. So just to get straight into the main subject of it, Orla, so um, your research um, is the design, development, implementation and evaluation of the Gala for Girls intervention. Um, so could you please give the listeners a little bit of background about your research and your dissertation? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I my research is I suppose it, it focuses on kind of eight to twelve year old girls in Ireland, uh, and it's this was putting an evidence base really behind the existing Gaelic for Girls program. So there's a program that's been running since two thousand and eight in Ireland. Um, Ladies Gaelic Football Association run the program, um, and it's actually been quite successful. And the whole like I suppose aim of the program really is. That it tries to aim to I suppose, increase participation levels for girls in ladies' Gaelic football. So it's been running since 2008, um, but there's no research behind it really. So you know it has been successful um, in terms of recruiting girls, and it's kind of almost like an introductory um, program to attract girls and to teach girls the basic skills of ladies' football, so that you know, clubs can grow in numbers and that we can get more girls kind of playing involved and staying involved in ladies football. Um, so I suppose where my research comes in behind that is um, because there's no evidence base behind the programme, um, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, I suppose, really kind of collaborated with me and we wanted to put that evidence base behind the programme. So I suppose, first of all, you know, find out what girls, what, what, why are they playing, what's stopping them, what are the barriers, what are the motivators, but also, I suppose, kind of looking at the programme and seeing what kind of elements could we tailor and um, to try and kind of have that needs-driven approach from, a, from I suppose, the child's perspective, coach perspective, uh, the parents' perspective as well. But kind of merging all of that to essentially tailor the programme so that it can be, you know, run you know, at a wider kind of scale, but also to try and get more girls involved and staying involved so like that's kind of essentially it really um like I, I suppose I looked at different studies within my whole PhD but um the main kind of findings that were coming through like in terms of the baseline studies and the kind of uh, the first few studies that I would look at um was that whole kind of ladies daily football why they're involved in sport what's stopping them what, what's getting in the way and it was just like other research and um, you know on a national level and on an international level the key kind of I suppose themes that were coming through again were you know that of like fun the social interaction and um, having kind of that, that notion of like an appropriate challenge um not too competitive but one that kind of helps them get fit and healthy and wanting to compete as well but not I suppose in a way that it's like too competitive that the enjoyment could be stripped from from the game and um, another thing that was coming through really was um was why they weren't kind of what was stopping them from getting involved was ironically that lack of enjoyment um, and, and the social interaction could be kind of quite negative at times as well in terms of that social kind of comparison friends comparing each other you know linking into like the body image confidence and um, and also things like you know time constraints and, and other other barriers as well that would be kind of common in, in research for girls that age um I suppose one kind of alarming finding for me I think in my research that really kind of like resonated with me was the skill level um so one thing I looked at was looking at their physical activity levels I looked at fundamental movement skills so these basic 
skills that I suppose children should have ma be mastering when they're 10 years of age. So things like running, skipping, hopping, jumping, kicking, catching, that are actually relevant to ladies football. Really, it was kind of like the findings were alarming in the sense that children were kind of like the, their proficiency levels were, were poor um, in performing these skills. You know, I suppose that was a, a big finding for me because like what research would suggest and what research has found is that you know, there's a direct correlation there and there's a direct link to, you know, if you're competent and if you're confident in performing these basic skills that, you know, you are more than likely going to stay involved playing sport and down the line, which makes sense because, you know, we all know if we're uncomfortable or, you know, not competent or if we feel embarrassed about doing and performing basic skills that, you know, nine tenths out of ten, we're not going to really want to do that in front of other people. And the mind do it ourselves. And um, in that kind of coaching, in that sport setup. So I think that for me was like a big finding. Um, coupled then with the the kind of confidence and the psychological barriers that were in the way for girls, things like self esteem and you know the social comparison and like kind of wanting to feel good and wanting to look good and things like that as well came through. Um, so I suppose based on those findings, um, I then designed an intervention. So the Gaelic for Girls intervention, I suppose, really in a nutshell, it kind of focuses on three components. So it's the participant is at the centre, um, the coach, coach component and then the parental component. So it's kind of three components. I kind of look at it as a triad, really, um, with the participants and the girls in the middle. Um, and I suppose the whole aim was... Based on my findings and based on the on, on that needs-driven approach, I tailored the existing program. So I added elements, for example, I would have tweaked the, the sessions and I would have I would have made some changes to, you know, I would have added the, the fun, the social interaction, I would have made uh, changes in terms of deliberate practice for fundamental movement skills, coach educational practices. So I would have had um run ed coach education workshops. Um, I would have provided electronic coach education video clips and we did upskilling sessions on a weekly basis and um, educating coaches on fundamental movement skills, educating parents on fundamental movement skills, educating parents on the important role that they play in terms of, you know, encouraging, like what we were talking about a while ago, that encouraging, you know, the social support that young girls need in terms of um, encouraging their participation in sport. So I suppose I looked at it from those kind of three aspects. Um, obviously, the main focus was on the participants and what could I do in those weekly sessions to try and bring in that needs-driven approach. So based on what they, they would have had, I suppose, elaborated on in the focus groups, in the questionnaires, and based on their poor skill levels, um, I tried to bring all of those aspects into the intervention um, in order to improve their enjoyment levels, in order to improve their physical activity levels, in order to improve, you know, their their movement competency, confidence in performing, but also that feel good factor as well. So I ran kind of different um, initiatives within the, the the intervention itself, um, and I suppose really like the main kind of goal was to compare my tailored intervention to the existing program. Um, to a control group which had no Gaelic for Girls intervention. So, um, and, and really, we, we saw really positive um, positive findings. So the girls that took part in the research-informed tailored intervention, 
which was all the, I suppose, coaching of upskilling was with the deliberate fundamental moving school practice, all of those kind of additional specific changes, we saw improvements in um, self-reported physical activity. So the girls actually reported that they felt more physically active after the, the um, 10 weeks and uh, their skill level as well also improved. Now, they were very small changes, but they were significant. So um, you're, you're talking about minimal now, but they were still significant changes um, compared to the two other groups. Um, and the same with enjoyment levels and that family friendship, that, that social support was coming through because we had embedded those features into the, the, the tailored program uh, compared to the other two groups. So we actually saw reduction in, in skill level in the control group. Uh, so the group that had no Gaelic progress program who just trained as normal in their Gaelic, um, Gaelic football setup, we actually saw they actually got worse um, in terms of their, their skill when we tested them after the intervention. Um, and then also with the existing program, we saw minor like reductions in their skill level as well. So it was, it was nice and it was positive to see that, you know, based on these research and foreign practices, such as like the coach education practices and the fundamental movement skill, like all of these um, elements made a positive difference for the girls over 10 weeks. So like really over the 10 week period, we weren't expecting to see massive changes. But in saying that, we did see some positive changes in terms of physical activity, fundamental movement skill, competence and confidence, and also enjoyment levels um, were enhanced. The social support was coming out as well strongly. So, I mean, like, I suppose in terms of the direction of, of you know, looking now, well, what's next in terms of the research is that we can now embed some of those research and foreign practices into the existing programme to improve the programme so that coaches are more educated, number one, um, and they're more confident. Girls are more confident and they feel good about themselves. Um, and hopefully they will pick up that skill more if they feel good about themselves. Um, and also like, I suppose, getting that parental component into it, I think really came through in my research as well. Look at it from the triad, like you can't just focus on the girls only. You can't just focus on the coaches only or the parents. You have to merge the three in order for it to be a successful intervention or a successful session um, over time, that if you can merge those three, and if you can get the parents involved in a positive way, um, through like positive reinforcement, even getting them involved as volunteers in the club, uh, just communicating with them all makes a positive difference. The coach education, educating our coaches, you know, I, that was the thing that came through in the focus group interviews, I think, it was that lack of confidence in, in I suppose, executing the sessions and planning the sessions. I think, you know, due to the amateur nature of ladies football and Gaelic games in Ireland, nine times out of ten, you're going to have parents down the road who are going to just want to come and get involved. And, you know, they're enthusiastic, but do they know exactly what, you know, fundamental movement skills are? Do they know how to encourage girls? Do they know what girls want? And do they know what is in the way? So I think it's more of like educating coaches um, going forward based on my research and putting those practices in place in the clubs, um, as well as obviously that feel-good environment for girls, you know, instilling that confidence in girls, giving them that feel-good factor, but also having that deliberate practice in terms of like, are you setting aside deliberate practice for basic skills, whatever the sport it is, um, 
and instilling that confidence in girls as well. So it's kind of a merge of like that triad, as I, as I, as I said, of like, I mean, that's just on a Gaelic Games level, but this can be applicable to any sport, um, not just Gaelic Games, like any sport for girls um, that, you know, you, you kind of need to question those three. And like, to be honest, I would probably go with that extra step and say, and add a fourth element in terms of the community as well. Uh, and the community of practice, how can you get in the community and the schools involved as well? And um, not just the parents, the players, coaches, but look at the bigger picture and that kind of community of practice, um, because it all makes a difference. As you know yourself, Owen, even from New York and as well, working over in, in Rockland as well, that you know that it's that community of practice that, that brings the club together and that has that knock-on effect that kind of comes from top down as well at grassroots level. And I, have, I just have that because you have the, as you talked about, that triad of the parent, coach, and child. And you touched on something I was going to ask you a little bit more about was when that triad is engaged and the relationships are built between those three, not only with, not only from ladies getting football, but with all sports, it leads into the club, into the school, into the community, into society in general, because they're more well rounded athletes, more well rounded players well-rounded people because they have that education base of listen concentrate on the person first and then we'll look at their skills we'll look at their psychological focus we'll look at their tactical awareness of their team play but it's about the person and that's where the Gaelic for Gears and the Gaelic for Teens program and your research is very very much about is the person and part of your intervention I want to little, go into a little bit more detail into that part of your intervention and you talked about um you're very creative and um, have known each other and uh, we both like to be creative and to try things out and to have a go. Um, so part of your intervention for a ladies Gaelic football programme was to bring dance. Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I kind of went a bit outside the box, but it worked, thankfully. And um, yeah, I suppose, I, again, it came back to my initial findings in my research that you know, when I had investigated what girls want, what they like, what they don't like, etc., like something that was coming up, um, I suppose, was like that fun and enjoyment, social interaction, confidence, coupled with the low skill levels and the low physical activity levels that were reported. I kind of just got that mad notion one day when I was in my car, um, kind of thinking to myself, you know, how could I merge all those? I suppose I kind of called them issues at the time, the research issues that, like, how am I going to try and improve physical activity levels, skill levels, confidence, friendships, fun, the whole lot into one thing. And I, I just got this bad note and Ed Sheeran song, um, Galway Girl came on in the car and I said, oh my God, Arilla, why don't you like bring it into a dance and like bring the football, ladies football skills, merge it with a bit of dance, a bit of music, a bit of fun, a bit of crack, um, get that kind of, you know, positive momentum, making it attractive for girls, increasing self-esteem, all of that. It was just hitting all of like, everything in, in all of my research issues. So I just decided I was supposed to choreograph a ladies football dance um, out my backyard. And I just, as you said, go and give it a go, you know, just took that risk. And my supervisor and said, right, Leslie, I'm, I'm actually going to try something different. Um, I'm gonna go with it. And he said, look, we're like, you know best, you go with it. And it really, really was really positive. And um, it was the girls practice the dance for half an hour before each of the sessions on the weekly basis 
and we performed the, the dance then at the end. So like the whole goal behind the dance was like they each had the football in their hand and they they were still practicing the skills of ladies football, but they were also, I suppose, deliberately practicing basic movement skills and they were having fun. You know, they they were with their friends, they had the music element to dance. Like girls love to dance, they love to have fun. So it worked really, really well. And we performed the dance at the end of the intervention for parents, coaches and other players in the club. And I think that's where the community of practice came in then with the whole, you know, everyone got on board. It was such a positive experience. Um, and I think like based on the findings and I suppose interviewing the girls after uh, the intervention, like that was one of the highlights for them was, oh, like love the dance, love the way we had the football and it was really like it promoted maximum participation and I'm a big believer in that kind of maximum participation that you know each girl had a ball in their hand they had that opportunity to practice the skill and gain confidence and kind of instill that confidence you know as opposed to I mean you know yourself like some kids mightn't even get a chance to have they might only have the ball in their hands three or four or five times in a session whereas with the dance it was, it was very focused and they kind of had that opportunity to practice skills with the dance. And the ball and, and the music was kind of like a distraction in, in a certain extent because they were so focused on the moves and on themselves that they didn't even have that opportunity to compare in a negative way to their friends because it was all fun. And it didn't matter if you didn't make the beat. It didn't matter if you got a move right or wrong. That wasn't the point. We didn't want to perfect the dance. It was all just about participation know time on the ball increasing their confidence making them feel good about themselves and I think that really like for me was such a success for the Gaelic girls and it definitely is something that we will be bringing into the program and um, I suppose on a national level now like in collaboration with the Ladies Gaelic Football Association we want to bring elements of dance into the program because why not when it's such a positive thing and at the end of the day they're physically active and skill and they feel good about themselves. And it's a great way of, you know, engaging because you talked about maximum participation and it was probably that way because of, again, because of the song that you chose maybe as well, but because it was a safe environment, you know, there's no pressure. It was whatever movement you want to do yourself. You move to the music, even if you're just bobbing your head, that's moving the music, that's your dance, that's your part of your sequence, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Actually, and because of where we are now in relation to COVID and non-contact activities and the restrictions, that element of dance and individualization and making sure you're getting your physical activity through dance and in a different way has really um, brought to the fore the importance of dance, not only through expression, but also through school, because it's one of the um, physical education curriculum areas. Um, you're actually, that intervention, and I know we had talked about it before, and we were doing, we've done in, we've done in service with our uh, games promotion officers in Dublin, and it was non-contact. And having worked with Ulster GA in the Department of Education, and obviously we had to do dance as part of a six-week program. I would actually do dance in schools for ten weeks because I enjoyed it so much. Great way. Um, and the children saw you in a different light, but I thought, listen, we're going to try this with um, our staff in September, and it worked really well because. Again, self-expression, and it was up to themselves what they did. And these were adults doing it, then they're going to go back into the schools. But again, it was that element of there's no pressure. It's a safe environment. You're bringing in all the physical and um, fundamental movement skills through mm -hmm. the ball on your own. 
You can pretend you're kicking a ball over the bar, pretend you're going for a goal, pretend you're passing your partner. And that element gets them thinking as well about what would they be doing if they were having a normal practice um, with, without the restrictions. Um, and it was an interesting way because of how you thought about it and you just went with it. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a little bit of a lack of confidence with coaches in that as well, is there's that fear factor of, oh, I'm not going to look good if the session is rubbish and I think it's... No, listen, mm. poor sessions happen and planned sessions, the best planned sessions go out the window after five minutes, especially when you're working with six, four to 12-year-olds, no matter what age or where they're from. And But it's that confidence of, okay, well, ask the children what to do. And you had done that. I know that part of that focus group that you did what came out of the focus groups was what you put in the intervention as well. So it wasn't you coming up with it. It was what the participants were talking about as well. So in terms of participation, getting them involved and staying on that pathway. Um, if the, when you're linking the Gaelic for Girls program and then the Gaelic for Teens, so we're going more into, more into performance for the age group, but the Gaelic for Teens is not a performance, um, not a performance program. Again, it's to get girls at that age to reduce dropout, to reduce burnout then later on. But again, to create those relationships. And from talking to you now, those relationships and connections are so important and they seem to be so important, more important for females and women in sport. Mm, Absolutely, yeah. And I think like, I think really, the key there in terms of even just the coaching perspective as well and my own playing experience I think it's like getting to know like your players as people first I think and just getting to know what they want and and it has to be needs driven like it really every group of players is going to be different you know no matter whether it's in a school if it's a younger group if it's teenagers if it's an adult team like every group is dynamic and it's different and you really just like that's the first step I think in getting getting to know your players getting to know what they want um, and I think like relationships is an important one as well because like at the end of the day like we 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 all we all need to relate to people and we all want to feel kind of connected um, and that that sense of connection and that's something that came through as well with my own research and um, particularly with like the peers and you know the parents and the coaches but like what we're seeing in the research my own research but also research on an international level is like even one barrier is like coaches being too strict and the fun being kind of taken out of sessions and it's just too structured and too like you know lack of choice and lack of voice and things like that so just have to be mindful like as coaches that like your players come first and like they're at the core and you know you you need to get to know them and you need to get to know what they want and once you know them I mean you're not going to get it's not going to be perfect but you can structure your trainings you can structure know your sessions around their needs and their demands and like things will fall into place Uh, but communication there is just key it's essential the first step I would say in terms of like effective coaching and kind of getting to know your players Um, I know you had we we talked about the dance and stuff there on um but like one thing and I think that like fun really is like it's quite an elusive concept and it's it's kind of a tricky one and it's kind of oh but like if they're having fun then like we want to win in all ireland or we want to win you know the, the county championship but we want to, we want to be competitive but 
think people forget that you can be both. Like you can have fun and be competitive. Um, and I think like some some coaches think that it's either one or the other. Um, and I think like really it's important to merge the two because what the research is saying is that on one side, children and adolescents are playing because they want to compete and they want to get better. Yeah, they want to have fun, but they also want to compete and they want to get the best of themselves and they want to get better. But on the other side, they're dropping out because number one reason is like it's the, the enjoyment is gone. It's been stripped of them. It's too strict. It's too structured. It's too competitive for girls now on a, on a female perspective. But like really, it's kind of like it's ironic in a way because you have to merge the two. And I'm only speaking from obviously my own research, but my own perspective as a senior player. Like I'm 11 years now on the Cork senior panel, and the sessions that I remember and the hardest sessions are the ones that I actually came off like absolutely base, wrecked, tired, but I had fun and like I enjoyed myself and we come off the pitch and we're laughing, you know, and I think people forget that, that it's like amateur, if I'm, if I'm adding a fun element now, then that's kind of almost wasted opportunity for like the competitiveness and like, oh no, we, we need work training now for the upcoming event. Whereas you can do both and like, I know from my own experience and like my own coaches that would have coached me, like it's actually good to merge the fun and the competitive. So you know, things like putting them into teams and having like a points-based system, having a bit of crack, but also having kind of that, that challenge there. Like and the key, the key word is to have that appropriate challenge, I think, like not having it too competitive, not having it too easy, but appropriate to their needs. So like that's where it comes back to, Number one, you get to know your players, you get to know their personalities, you get to know what what they like, what motivates them, you know, different personalities, different dynamics. And then based on that, like it's up to you then to be adaptive and it's up to you to bring challenges in. Competitive, but also fun. And I think merging the two together, like you, you have to have that balance. You have to have that balance between fun and competitive. And I think you nailed it there as well in saying that. I think it's just that lack of confidence for coaches that it's like, oh, I might look stupid or I might look silly or what if the group of players don't like it or, you know, what if, what if, what if. But like, you just have to get out of your comfort zone. I think it's, I think just specifically in the GA, it's kind of like, maybe it's that narrow-mindedness. It's like, oh, I have my session now and I'm sticking to this X, Y, and Z and I'm not going outside of that. And, you know, it's very structured and to the point whereas even just with the dance that time, like I just decided to go for it. Or just try something different and it can be fun, but they can be competitive and they can be stimulated and they can be challenged and they can still be motivated. Um, and that's what they'll remember. Like the sessions that I remember are the ones that I were, were hard, but we had a laugh together, had a bit of crack, had a bit of fun. You felt good about yourself, you know, skill-wise and, and challenge-wise, but you all also had that kind of social kind of connectedness, that sense of belonging, that sense of friendship, that fun. You can merge them, definitely. And, I, and like you said, you know, you as, a, as an inter-county ladies gated footballer, wanting fun, and you've had fun at your session. So, well, if they're seven, eight, nine, ten, they should be having fun at their sessions as well. And that, that element of fun, and again, you were great touching on that in that, it's not just a fun for the sake of just having fun and messing about. No, they're ha- purposeful fun. You know, making sure mm-hmm. you're competitive and having internal games or, you know, little relay races. That's fun. Like, that's mm-hmm. not the competitive element. But there's learning in that, and learning is fun. Um, so one of the things I want to kind of move on to now is 
the performance element. So um, we've discussed your participation from a young age up to your research and where it's based in terms of the 8 to 12 year olds, the Gaelic for Girls um, program. And also now um, in relation to you as a player, specifically now, as a coach as well, if you want to bring that in, or specifically probably as a player, um, what are the key challenges for female sport, not only in Ireland, yes, Ireland is the context that you're going to go with, but um, there's a very similar challenges, not only in Ireland, but all, all over the world. So what are the key challenges for you? Um, I suppose personally, like just playing over the last years, I think like just recognition, I think is a big one. Um, and like, you know, obviously that comes into the whole equality with men and things like that as well. But I just think like being recognized like for not even just for achievements, but just, you know, for the efforts and things like that, that you would have had put and, you know, the commitment and the time and, you know, all of that over the years that I think that it is an issue for women, like in Ireland, all over the world, really, to be honest. Um, couples then with obviously the kind of inequality still, like there's still a big gap there, I think, between men and women, particularly at inter-county level. Um, you know, I suppose we've all seen that over the years. And I think just from my own experience, like, I, I w- I'm only comparing it from my own experience, but like, I would know some of like the, say, some inter-county footballers and inter-county hurlers. Um, and like, just to even see what they get in terms of like funding, in terms of food, in terms of these basic um elements to you know their training and being an intercounty player um and i suppose really it's kind of alarming in that sense and it's it's more just kind of a lack of of recognition um and that inequality there um obviously funding is a big one um you know we we don't get um as much money as as the men um it is getting better you know i suppose obviously with the 2020 campaign and the wgpa and you know the lgfa there's been funding pumped in with little and other organizations and other companies kind of over the last few years but i think really like yes money can help but like it's just that disparity there still um that definitely brings kind of the lack of recognition and and you know lack of media presence and things like that but that all kind of merges in to the same issue um now to be honest it does go back to that whole kind of cultural I suppose societal norms and paradigms I suppose that would have been in the past with women um you know I suppose women in Ireland I mean Ladies Gaelic Football Association is quite a new organization as well like when you look at it only over the last you know 30 40 50 years like have women kind of been getting those opportunities um as well so like I still think there's that kind of cultural paradigm kind of stigma with women um just historically I think that obviously comes through generation to generation but I suppose even in just in terms of like it has improved and I don't want to be like giving out about x y and z but I think from my own experience just like in terms of like the attendance for example alone um that has been a challenge over the years and I remember playing um a final an All-Ireland final in 2011 in Co-Park and I think there was like 17, 18,000 at that game. And like we played in 2018 then again, and it was like almost tripled the numbers. It was 55 or 56,000 there. So I think like that in itself is showing the progress that is being made over the last few years. Um, I still don't think we're, we're there yet. Um, it seems to be only a thing for like all Ireland finals. 
that it's like, oh, great that we get the 50,000 or whatever for the All-Ireland Final, but no, there's nobody turning off for the league games. There's nobody turning off for the provisional games. There's nobody turning off for an All-Ireland quarterfinal, semi-final. So like, it still is an issue. And like, it is great that, that things have progressed. But I suppose that comes into funding and things like that as well. And facilities as well would be a big thing. Um, I think the fact that we only would have had Co-Park for the All-Ireland Final, that that was the only opportunity we had to play in our national stadium, um, was definitely a challenge as well and an issue over the years. And that has got better uh, over the last kind of three years. Really, we've kind of had opportunities to play semi-finals and finals in Co-Park and some of the bigger stadiums as well, Perlis and some of the bigger stadiums around. But um, I think it's almost like, gosh, look, we'll put on the game there like in, in a pitch out in the country. Um, it's the access to the facilities as well. So it's kind of like different issues. They're all like linked and they're all kind of picking at each other because if the game is on in a country pitch, how can you expect people you know, to come out to that pitch when the facilities aren't adequate for the game? Um, that kind of comes back to like an organisational uh, kind of an issue as well. Um, I suppose funding really is the, is the common one. Like it's the common denominator. Like the money isn't there. So, you know, the facilities come into play, the support, the media, things like that. That, that all interlinks together. Um, but it has got better, I think, um, over the last years. And a credit to the 2020 campaign in Ireland, you know, really pushing girls and women in sport. The, the Women's Gaelic Players Association, even linked now with the, the, the Men's Association. Like all of that is making such a positive in, impact and influence on players. And I feel particularly the last year, um, even in 2020, there has been that positive kind of shift. Um, and even men are getting behind, you know, that culture shift and pushing like women in sport. And there is more kind of recognition now on the media. Um, not as much, obviously, as the men yet, but we are getting there. And like, we have to be appreciative of that as well. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. We have to, we have to work on that as well. Yeah, well, you mentioned there about um, the GPA and the WGPA. So that was, that's the Gaelic Players Association for the GA men's sports and Gaelic football in Ireland. And the WGPA is the Women's um, Gaelic Players Association. And they have a memorandum of understanding now that hopefully, if, it, if it's voted for by yourselves, and you're one of them who's going to vote for this if it does come to pass, that both organisations will come together and will be working together a lot more closely. So in relation to that, and in relation to kind of your challenges at the weekend, we'll go into that now in a little second and about um, the GA organization, Ladies Football and Camogie being separate entities. When I was in New York um, with Rockland GA and I was in the role about two months and I had been doing workshops with coaches and with parents and with children and it had come up um, that, uh, that the GA, Ladies Gaelic Football and Camogie were separate entities and I had been mentioning that a couple of times. And at my second executive committee meeting, it was brought up on the floor about why I was saying that, that that is not true. So, but there's a good point to that because Rockland and New York as well, and other parts of, other parts of the world that the GA are involved with, the Ladies Gaelic Football and Camogie, it is one club. So the Ladies Gaelic Football, Camogie and the GA Sports of Gaelic Football, Hurling, Handball and Rounders are under one umbrella and they share the facilities. They have the same executive committee. They have the same groups. There is no um, advantages to being involved with the GA in terms of pitches and access to facilities. 
if it's booked by the ladies, the ladies get it. There's no asking for permission. Um, and that was an interesting um, collaboration. And it goes back to kind of where we were with Ulster GA. My own club, Lissenski Emmets in Fermanagh, and quite a few um, Gaelic athletic clubs and ladies Gaelic football and camogie clubs in the six counties in the north are one club. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's for capacity. It's for people staying together, small villages, having three entities looking for funding or sponsorship or tickets and selling tickets. Rather than three of them going to one house, it's one and it's split three ways. But also in terms of funding and in terms of grants and in terms of funding applications cross-community, you're bringing in the female aspect, the male aspect, everybody coming together as well as cross-community in the six counties as well. And having lived down here now in the Republic, that's very different in a lot of counties and a lot of clubs especially. And so in relation to the three organisations, and there is positives to three of them come together, mm-hmm. there's, ne- there's challenges in that as well. But in relation to your own experiences, Orla, and you mentioned um, as well about funding, and I know you've done a little piece in the Aries Examiner in terms of your mileage mm-hmm. over the last 11 seasons. And, just, and it was anecdotal because it didn't include everything. Um, so if you wanted to go into that a little bit, but really in terms of your own thoughts about what happened at the weekend and the challenges of that, but also where are you, where are you think things could be improved if the three organisations did come together or if they didn't mm-hmm. come together, and I can't see them that happening for a variety of reasons, where things need to be improved. Yeah, I suppose really, like I think, like obviously, like the ultimate goal, I think, would be to be all under the one umbrella and just in terms of you know collaboration and like facilities funding everything like that it it would make sense you know obviously there are plenty of advantages and challenges as well um for that but I suppose again I, I can only speak on my own experience um like I I suppose I see it firsthand and one of the issues I think with having a separate organization for ladies gala football is um, first of all, the the jewel players, which is a kind of common um, complaint at the moment on, on Twitter and whatnot, but I suppose there's five girls on our panel with current ladies, and there have been girls over the years in in similar positions, um, and I suppose they always seem to be the ones suffering because there's a clash, like fixtures. Fixtures would be a big a big thing in terms of a disadvantage of having the separate organisations, um, numerous clashes with camogie games, with ladies football games. Um, over the years and it just it doesn't seem to be rectified and, and it doesn't seem like it'll be rectified anytime soon um, and that's a massive massive issue and I think you know it, it's unfortunate because you know it's something that could be easily I suppose it doesn't an easy solution to it really um, in terms of, of effective communication and collaboration and organization and um, but unfortunately the players have to suffer and like I see that firsthand I see the frustration um, within even our own group, like not only just the Camogie players, but also the the other girls involved in the team, because you know we want those girls to be training with us, and um, the girls want to be there. But then when they're clashing games, and that's it shouldn't be happening in the first place, personally. But like you, you question if if that if we were under the one umbrella, you know, would we have those issues? And um, everyone would be on the same page, I suppose, in terms of fixtures and things like that. Um, that to me would be a, a massive issue that I've seen over the years. Um, 
back in say 2011-12 when I was first on the panel um, some of the dual players had those issues then mm. 10 years later we're still having the same problems um, and I suppose they're, they're separate organisations as well um, now I suppose you do have to look at the growth and the progress in the organisations as well so like I suppose because ladies Gaelic football has grown so much you know, it's the fastest growing sport now at the moment so like the demand is there as well and like I suppose like because it has grown so much, maybe that they are under pressure with, with certain aspects of organizational issues, etc., um, and funding and things like that as well to meet the needs. But I do think definitely the clash of fixtures is a massive thing um in terms of having the separate organizations. Um to be honest, like it, it is quite frustrating when when I know like you know some of our own girls are playing and it always has to fall back on the players. Um so I do think like maybe that that collaboration it should be there in the first place anyway but you'd wonder if if we were all under the one umbrella would would that be rectified that issue um i suppose another thing that um kind of frustrates me really um is the whole kind of fixtures and the whole um the facilities um i suppose we experienced that firsthand ourselves this weekend for our all-ireland semi-final um which was due originally to be played in limerick we were playing Galway, so that would have been halfway between Cork and Galway. Um, and I suppose, you know, we had found out early on last week that, look, that venue wasn't available due to, um, I think it was the Limerick Curliers were training there. Um, so then the, the game got changed to Dublin, which I suppose we weren't quite happy with because it was a bit unnecessary, really, in terms of, like, you know, Dublin was, was, was a big trek for us, two and a half, three-hour journey. Um, up to Dublin and same for Galway and um, you know you, you'd question you know could could the Ladies Gaelic Football Association could the GA have organised you know Semple Stadium a closer stadium um, instead of dragging more teams to Dublin so I suppose those kind of issues were trickling in as well um, and then last minute I suppose then you're talking about an hour and a half before throwing um, the game got changed from Parnell Park to Co Park due to icy conditions. Um, I suppose it was more so just the, the late notice um, at such short, well, short notice, really, should I say, uh, and the game being changed to Co Park. Now, for us, like it, obviously it was a shock because you know we weren't expecting to play in Co Park. We were obviously excited because it's our national stadium, but I think for Galway, it was... Um, it kind of threw them off a bit because they were traveling separately we had stayed up the night before as well um but it's just kind of mind-boggling to think that you know i think they said 20 past 10 they they tried to get co park because parnell park was unplayable um and like within 40 minutes you know co park had decided oh yeah okay the ga left us playing in co park so kind of that 40 minute window it's quite um, alarming that, okay, the game is now on in Co Park, but I suppose there's kind of questions being thrown out everywhere now that, like, why wasn't the game put in Co Park before the men's game first, first day? Um, why was it on in Dublin? Why why didn't the Ladies Gaelic Football Association have a plan B? Um, you know, all of these questions that are fired around. And I suppose at the end of the day, again, it's the players that had to suffer. We had to suffer. We were rushed. The warm-up was rushed. Probably only had six or seven minutes in the freezing cold, like freezing temperatures. Um, it was all kind of a bit of a mess, really. 
to be quite honest, which which isn't good enough, like, and it's not really acceptable. I mean, you you'd never see that happen in in the men's game, um, even it not being televised. Like, I mean, there'd be uproar. There would be uproar in Ireland if that was the men's game that was on after us, Dublin and, and Tipperary. Now, for example, if that if that happened, then there would be uproar in 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 Ireland. Like, so why should it have to happen us? You know, like why? Why are we just giving the back burner all the time and change the venue last minute? It's just, it's just simply not good enough. Like, and you know, there are loads of questions to be to be answered in terms of like the organisation, the Ladies' Gaelic Football Association, um, the GA as well. I suppose, like, I suppose you'd wonder again if we were under the same umbrella, would 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 you would it make those things easier, um, more accessible in terms of pitch availability? In terms of better collaboration, communication, and um, funding opportunities, um, would we be in you know the circumstance of of rushing a warm up and changing venue last minute to, to play an All Ireland semi final? And um, so yeah, like it's it's unfortunate, but at the same time, like I do think better communication has to be there. I know Ladies Gaelic Football and Camogie um, are separate umbrellas and organisations, but at the same time, like. The players shouldn't be suffering like these are basic organizational systematic you know i suppose planning that needs to be put in place that it shouldn't you know you should have a plan a a plan b a plan c always that's common sense and it, it shouldn't be the players that are suffering and like you know is it because we're a separate organization you know do we need additional supports from the ga do we need additional funding do we need additional access to pitches? Maybe, maybe we do. Um, but these questions need to be answered. Like, you know, it shouldn't have to take something like that, like a, a series of un- unfortunate events where the players suffer. It shouldn't have to take that for systematic changes to be made. Um, it's, it's very frustrating in that sense. I mean, obviously, we, we just tried to put that up behind us and we wanted to just be focused on the day. And play the game but I mean any player in Ireland to be told an hour before throwing okay sorry you're actually going to be playing in a, in a different pitch a half an hour earlier as well yeah. to change the game from half one to one as well which is I mean it's just not acceptable like and like I don't know I suppose it, it does kind of beg to question in terms of that you I suppose the, the whole union and kind of uniting the three organizations and bringing them together of course there are going to be advantages but will it cause for more kind of you know lack of communication and things like that who knows (laughs) who knows on (laughs) again it is it is who knows and it's like again uh, you haven't been involved in ladies gaelic and in gaelic games for a long time and um, done research in it and now you have worked in it um, in Ulster with Ulster ladies as well, ladies Gaelic football as well as worked in New York and I've seen the advantages of being under one umbrella and being together and having a one club model I know it's a, s- a smaller entity of doing that and it's easier to manage that but there is certain aspects like collaboration and communication is the biggest one and in my experience um, having the two organizations and they do great work there's so many people the volunteer is exceptional the people who work there are exceptional as well and again it's a pity that this has happened but when you go to congress for both of them and motions of cooperation have been uh, put down 
so they haven't been passed. And no motions of cooperation for Gaelic, Ladies Gaelic Football and Camogie to collaborate with each other in terms of fixtures. Mm. That was not allowed. That was passed down at both the Ladies Gaelic Football Congress and at the Camogie Congress. And until both organisations have an idea of, okay, we want to work together for the betterment of our players rather than having an insulated thought process on it. And again, it has to come down to the way the Gaelic sports are within Ireland. It's volunteers that take a lot of stuff on and help out at the fixtures, like you've seen in Parnell Park or Croke Park. Most of them are volunteers there. Um, mm. And having those people, and they're the ones that decide as well what motions will come to Congress and also what motions will be passed. So there's a little bit more, a lot of work to be done, but it, it's been going on for a long time. There's a working group set up in 2003. And again, another kind of, um, Liam, Liam O'Neill, I know before he finished his presidency with the GA um, in 2015. Mm. And again, as you said, in 2011, you were having the same issues that you're having now, and it is not good enough. And it has to be answered, and the questions have to be asked as well. Um, now, we could spend another hour on this as well, um, but I do <laughs> finish, Orla. I want to touch on, uh, again, um, your creativity um, and your um, zest for life more than anything. And I know that because of COVID and the restrictions, uh, you were not able to go traveling that we had talked about that you were going to do. Um, and I know that like, issues with female sport and equality is not just an Irish problem, it's not just in Ireland and the UK, it's worldwide and how how can we impact yards over the world, over, all over the world to stay in sport and you had an interesting idea on your mm. travels, if, you, if and when you will be allowed to go on them, so what was your idea? <laughs> I always have something up my sleeve on <laughs> um, so really I think like just based on, on my research experience and it really just kind of opened my eyes putting kind of the theory in practice like I'm all about the practice side of things and how can it be impactful for young girls you know in, in club based settings and school settings so one thing I suppose that was on my mind is first of all I always promised myself that when I finally submitted my PhD that I would um, I would actually just take a year out and I would um, go travelling and just kind of see the world and things but I suppose that's something that I've kind of I never really had that opportunity over the last years because I've committed to Cork and things like that. So I said, look, perfect timing after my PhD, do a bit of traveling, you know, just see the world a bit. Um, but I wanted to travel with a purpose, um, of course. And I wanted to kind of bring my research with me and kind of, I suppose, delve into um, kind of an action-based research kind of really um, with the dance. And something obviously that resonated with me in my own research, which we just spoke about, was that kind of, merging the dance and, and sport participation for girls, making it kind of that attractive tool to not only kind of bring people in, um, but also kind of keep girls staying involved in sport as well. So I wanted to kind of create this movement mission, whereby when I travel around to the different kind of countries, different cultures, I kind of bring the same kind of purpose and same kind of common goal that I want to improve movement for girls while I move around to the different cultures and different countries and kind of just I suppose learn from their culture as well and kind of things along the way but also kind of give back as well and um, from my own play experience but also my own research and try out the program really I'm kind of in the, in the process of developing a program uh, based on on my research and I wanted to take that opportunity while I was traveling to, to kind of use it in clubs and, and schools 
um, and kind of create that positive momentum for girls. Uh, bring in a bit of Gaelic football as well and bring in the kind of Irish Gaelic culture, but also learn from their culture. So making it applicable to, you know, rugby, to soccer, to whatever sport they're playing um, and whatever sport that, you know, their culture is, is, is kind of promoting as well um, and create that kind of movement mission, improving movement for girls while they move around the world. But I also wanted to document it. Let's still do it. Like, I'm just not sure yet when and where, but um, I am kind of like in the process of kind of just like planning it out now and kind of making some contacts. Um, I know there's a few clubs and stuff that are interested already um, in me just coming and visiting and rolling it out and just kind of doing a bit of action research. Uh, all with the goal of just improving, you know, movement experiences. For girls, making a positive, kind of just creating that kind of movement culture and for girls and empowering girls really through dance, through sport, through uh, positivity in sport as well. And create, being creative, like that's me in a nutshell. I, I, I like to take risks. Uh, and I'm I'm really excited about going and learning from all the different countries and cultures. And by documenting it, I'd like to kind of put it into a bit of a documentary style. And when I come back to Ireland, then when I come back to Cork, the real capital, um, I will I will try and, and merge it together. And I suppose then I want to bring back what I've learned from the different cultures. And, and how can I bring that into the GA? And how can we improve things in the GA for coaches, players? Um, parents for that wider community to try and I suppose improve the game and we're all we're always learning and we always want to add elements um, into Gaelic games and, and sports so that's my goal the movement mission hopefully will take place when, when Covid ends <laughs> and that's that's probably the little bit of an advantage um, for the restrictions that you have now is that you have time to plan um, and that you have to contact people and Get yourself ready for it and i know obviously you're going to countries all over the world you're thinking about new zealand australia and um, america and um, south america as well and um having done a little bit of work with icoats kids in terms of the shares webinar that you've done um as well as the podcast now so thank you very much for that but um there is a lot of context that we have um, myself included in terms of when you were saying that there and i was thinking yeah um, the orange town medi midgets um, in terms of orange town and rockland um, the uh, softball teams etc so they would easily be able to be contacted through that because we would have worked with them when we was in Rockland as well as um, Sergio and all the contacts that we have in terms of FIBA now um, in terms of World Rugby mm -hmm. um, Special Olympics International with Fiona Murray etc so there is a lot of uh, a lot of scope out there for you for this in terms of um, collaboration and communication um, to uh, yeah well like the way, the way I look at it on is like you know, there's, there's no point in having my 100,000 word thesis, you know, sitting there in a hard copy on my desk. Like, um, I, it's all about impact. Like, research is all about impact. And that's what I love about the practicality of Gaelic for Girls and the research from my PhD that, like, I can now, I've learned and gained so many insights, you know, even based on my friends, that I can now go and take on even more and learn more. And, like, that's what it's all about. Like, you... That, that quest to kind of find out more and how can you impact and empower people um, because at the end of the day that's what we want you know we want to better ourselves we want to better others we want to better our communities and the only way you're going to do that is to just go out out there and try it out and you know you have to take risks and you have to just put things into place 
Um, and I'm sure like it'll all be for the better of of football, of sport, of daily games, um, of sport. And like at the end of the day, we want we want girls, more girls playing. So yeah, I'm really excited now to to delve in and no doubt I'll, I'll be in touch with that. <laughs> That's a great. That's a great way to finish in terms of uh, the learning for yourself, but also the learning for the sport through the sport as well. Orla, um, again, no, you're going to be on the podcast again. Um, obviously, I this podcast is for my doc prof. So, um, in terms of the play episodes, you're going to be one of the play episodes. So, I look forward to talking about that. But in the meantime, Orla, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Your passion, your enthusiasm is infectious. When people see this video of you nearly jumping up and down on the screen. <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. And again, we could have went on for another two hours easily. Um, I wish you all the best. Um, when you have finished your little few minor corrections for your PhD, but you're more or less all done, as well as all the best in the All-Ireland Final against Dublin um, and continued success in anything you do. Thanks for joining me today in the Anchorage Kids Podcast, Orla. Speak soon and take care. Thank you, Owen. Thanks a million. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Remember, Wherever you get your podcasts, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channels and follow us on social media at iCoachKidsPod. Also, please follow the iCoachKids pages on social media and subscribe to the iCoachKids YouTube channel where you'll have access to the massive open online courses as well as a huge number of videos and webinars. Thank you for joining us today. Stay safe and take care.